The book of Ruth gives us a beautiful and powerful story about a young woman. Her name, as you perhaps know or might guess, was Ruth. She was a Moabitess, someone who was not part of God's covenant people, the Israelites. Now, through a series of events, I won't go through every detail, but we know that Ruth marries a young Israelite named Malon, who had traveled to Moab, her home country, with his family during the time of a famine. Eventually, everything seems to turn bad in the story. Ruth's husband, Malon, her brother-in-law, Kilion, and her father-in-law, Elimelech, they all die. All of the three Israelite men who had wandered to Moab during this famine. And, and she is left in a less than ideal circumstance. Here she sits alongside two other widows, all mourning the death of their husbands. Now, eventually, the story turns and good fortunes come and the famine ends and Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, decides to go back home to Bethlehem. And Naomi encourages Ruth to stay behind in Moab, seeing that she is unable to provide another husband. But Ruth insists, saying, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Ruth follows Naomi back to Bethlehem in Israel. I mean, what else was she to do? She had become endeared to Naomi. Her husband was now dead, and, and she decided that her best move was to go and live among God's people. So here is Ruth in a land that is foreign to her. It's Bethlehem. It's the land of Judah. She has no friends. She has no connections. And she really doesn't have a whole lot going for her. But one decision would change Ruth's life forever. Ruth chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Sounds great. And she went and she came and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now watch this. And her hap was to light upon a part of the field belonging to Boaz who just happened to be the kindred of Elimelech. Ruth was fortunate that day, fortunate to cross paths with such an upright and generous man such as Boaz. The NIV calls Boaz a man of, a man of standing. He was a valiant and virtuous man. And remember, this took place in the days of the judges. So good men were hard to find in those days. You read the book of Judges and you know what I'm talking about. Because God was in it. You see, Ruth found her way to this man's field. A good man. An upright man. Women were not always treated respectfully in this era of the Judges. And Ruth could have easily fell into the hands of evil men. But God protected her as she ventured out to glean corn. And as we just read, not only was Boaz virtuous... But he was also one of the kindred of Elimelech, which, which was Naomi's deceased husband. It was Ruth's deceased father-in-law. And, and because of this, Boaz was a potential kinsman redeemer for Ruth's situation, which means nothing to us today. But in those days, if a man were to die, 
one of his brothers or relatives could step in, marry the widow, all in an effort to carry on the lineage of the deceased man. So all of this is to say that this one day would end up changing Ruth's life forever. I would like to point out a phrase, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, that when she went and she came and gleaned field, uh, gleaned in the field after the reapers, the Bible says that her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now, now we would say it, and, and the New Living Translation says it, and as it happened, as it happened, isn't that a radio show? And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. And we might say, it just so happened. You know, you would not believe what happened to Ruth the other day. It, it was just such a coincidence. She was out doing her thing, and, and she just so happened to land in the field of Boaz. Isn't that amazing? And on the surface, it seemed like coincidence, you know. Coincidence that Ruth landed in this particular field. Now, people will often look at those who have good things happen in their life, and they assume that they were just lucky somehow. They say things like, well, they were in the right place at the right time. The King James would say, and her hap was. It just so happened. And it does communicate the idea of good luck or good fortune. But was it really luck that day? Was it really luck? You, you look in the original Hebrew language of, of the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, and the Hebrew word here is mikre, mikre. And, and it does translate as good fortune or chance. It actually means that in the scripture. So, so it just makes me wonder, you know, was Ruth really just lucky that day? Or was something else going on? Are some people more lucky than others? Was it really just a fluke event? A coincidence, a chance meeting. And this actually, to me, begs a bigger question. Are some people actually more lucky than others, and by virtue, some more unlucky than others? Biblically speaking, the answer is no. You know, people, people don't have good luck streaks. If it seems that way, that actually is coincidence. There's no one that's lucky, no one that's unlucky. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that time and chance happen to us all. Jesus got in on the action and he said in Matthew 5 that, that it rains on the just and the unjust. So, so nobody's lucky, nobody's unlucky. Sometimes bad things do happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. Life just happens. And, and while it's appropriate to thank God for the good days, we shouldn't think that God is somehow displeased with us or, or that he has forsaken us every time something bad happens. If a tree falls in my yard and nobody was there to... No, that's the wrong... Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I got my, my adages mixed up here. If a tree falls in my yard, narrowly missing my house and my vehicle, you know, it falls right in between... Misses each one by inches. If that happens, I'll certainly pause and I'll say, thank you, Lord. Absolutely. I think that that's appropriate. Thank you, God. You've saved me a phone call to my insurance company. Praise you, Lord. But what about the other guy? The one who has the tree land on both? What about him? Should he conclude that God is not for him? Should he conclude 
that, that it's right to point the finger at God and blame him and say, and say, why would you do this to me? What did I do wrong? No, no. One is not more lucky than other, than the other. Life just happens. Now here's what I can't say. I can't say that every single thing happens for a reason. I don't have the authority in the Word of God to say that everything, every single little detail of your life, everything happens for a reason. But what I can say on the authority of the Word of God, that despite what happens, one thing that we know is that God is able to take all things and work them together for good. So whether it's a good day or a bad day, here's what we can take to the bank. That is that God is able to work it all together for my good and for his glory. And so it doesn't matter if I'm facing a bad day. I can raise my hands and I can still say, thank you, Jesus, because God is somehow going to turn it and work it for me for my good. There was this common belief in Jesus' day that if a terrible tragedy happened to somebody, it was because they had really terrible sin in their lives or, or they were simply failing God somehow. And that belief was especially prevalent among the Pharisees. If you were wealthy and healthy, then God was pleased with you. That's what they thought. And, and if you had fallen on hard times, experiencing poverty or sickness, tragedy, then you simply deserved it. God somehow was not happy with you. And even the disciples fell prey to this mindset at one time in particular in the scripture, John chapter 9, they came across a man who had been born blind since his birth. And the disciples look at Jesus and they said, Master, who sinned? Who sinned? Was it this man or was his parents that sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus looked at them and said, you guys are foolish. You don't know what you're talking about. It's pharisaical to think that way, that that, that somehow the events of life have to do with, with the, the sins or the bad decisions or God being displeased. Certainly sin has consequences, I'm not saying that, but, but to say that God takes out frustration on us when we fail him, that's not in the nature of God. Jesus said the blindness had nothing to do with sin at all. It was just life. The man wasn't sinful. His parents weren't sinful. He didn't have bad luck or bad fortune. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. It just happens. Everyone say life happens sometimes. But with all of that said, I do believe that it is possible that somebody can experience God's favor. So we're not talking about luck tonight. We're talking about favor. And they're different. And I do believe that we can find a way to get in the flow of God's favor. And, and I believe that Ruth somehow tapped into God's favor on this day. Because out of all the fields in the area that Ruth could have gone to, it just so happened that she started gleaning the excess grain out of this field. And it just so happened that on the day that she was in that particular field, that Boaz, the master of the field, was home. I mean, he was a busy guy, traveled around, I'm sure, but he was home this day. And it just so happened that on this day, he didn't decide to go and hunker in the bunker, go to his office and do paperwork, but he decided to take a walk into his fields and greet his harvesters. And it just so happened that Boaz sees Ruth gathering and gleaning grain. And, and perhaps most importantly, it just so happened that Boaz was a relative of Ruth's deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. 
And so you can call that luck and coincidence if you want to, but, but that's far too many coincidences for me to not begin realizing that God is working here. God is doing something in the background. Everything aligned perfectly for Ruth to catch the eye of this wealthy and upright man named Boaz. It seems coincidental, but this was no accident. This was by God's appointment. It was his providence, and it was his sovereign hand at work. And you read the rest of the story of Ruth. It's powerful. It's beautiful. Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David, the man after God's own heart, the greatest king in Israel's history. That's Ruth. She actually makes it into the lineage of Jesus Christ. You read her name in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And Ruth chapter 2 verse 3 calls it happenstance. But this was not just time and chance. This was God. So my question is, how can we like Ruth step into the flow of God's favor? What is it that she did right? A couple of things. First of all, I would quote you Proverbs 16 verse 9 and tell you that a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And the psalmist said, 37, 23, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. And I would get you to take notice of the key word in both of those verses is the word steps. God directs steps, but he doesn't direct us when we are stationary. God directs our steps. And so I would say first that if you want God's sovereign direction and God's favor to flow in your life, it takes movement and it takes initiative on our part. We can't expect to sit on our hands and, and do nothing and just wait for God to lay out his plan for our lives. But, but rather, God reveals his will as we take some steps. What are you doing, Ruth? I don't really know. Where are you going, Ruth? I don't really know, but I'm just going to do something. And God did the rest. We look at Ruth and these events, they seem like coincidence, but we know they're not. They're happening because of God's providence. But, but none of it would have happened if Ruth would have sat in Naomi's basement or on the couch in the living room, whining and complaining about how tough her life was and proverbially sucking her thumb. It wouldn't have happened. She would have missed the moment. She would have missed the miracle. But God was able to orchestrate things because Ruth refused to sit still. Everyone say steps. Ruth knew that sitting still would do nothing. So she got up and she decided to just go and do something. Let me go out and pick some grain. Let me go out and put my time and my energy to good use. And if I do that, I believe that God will favor me. There's a Latin proverb, and I've said this before, but providence assists not the idol. Providence assists not the idol. And Lord only knows what we miss out on when we sit still in life. If we are static, if we are stationary, if we are content to just go through our routines and never go off the beaten path and never try anything different or never do anything for the kingdom of God, then God cannot order our steps. And I will say that idleness is our enemy. Idleness is our enemy. Okay, so all this sounds great. But, but was there something specific beyond this about Ruth that caused her to encounter good fortune? Are mere steps enough? Because 
a lot of people take a lot of steps in a lot of stupid directions. And so can we go on a journey down the wrong path and just, you know, God's like, no, dummy, over here. Is, is action all we're looking for? And what I submit to us tonight, and this is what I want to preach, is what caused Ruth to encounter God's providence was not just her activity. It was where she decided to go. Ruth encountered God's sovereignty and providence because she was willing to put in a hard day's work in the field. Ruth 2, verse 2. Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, she said, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn, and I might find grace. Naomi said, go. And so I'll say to us tonight that it wasn't just that she started getting busy and just that she started taking steps and and just started doing for the sake of doing, but it's that she got busy gleaning some of the harvest in the field. Somebody shout, in the field. And Ruth found that that what, what she found was that when she set her sights on the field, that she encountered divine favor. Because I preach tonight, there is favor in the field. Look at your neighbor and say, there's favor in the field. And what I want to preach tonight, I want to tell our church today that if we will make up in our minds that that we are going to go and get to work in the field, then God can divinely orchestrate our steps. God can divinely lead us to the one who will receive us. God can take care of the rest. If we'll set our sights on the field and start moving in the direction of the field, that's how we step into the flow of God's divine favor. Why don't you clap your hands for a moment and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that somehow when Ruth started making her way out there with the intent of working the harvest, God started not only leading her steps, but I believe that God also started leading leading Boaz's steps. And maybe you say, well, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to reach out to. I don't know what to do. I don't know who will receive me. Neither did Ruth. And Ruth could have easily pointed to the danger out there and how it was unlikely that she would have much success. Ruth could have easily come up with a million excuses why the field was a bad idea, why the field was dangerous, why the field was uncomfortable. Ruth could have determined that she would fail even before she took a single step. And listen, we need to not pre-calculate every endeavor that we do for the kingdom of God. We need to stop trying to figure out who will and who won't receive us. We need to stop trying to do it all in our minds and looking at the equation and thinking, well, it doesn't work out. It it doesn't equal zero on the other side. We need to stop trying to pre-calculate every effort of evangelism and outreach and just start stepping. Just start stepping in the direction of the field. Just start doing something in the field. Let me now go to the field. She didn't say, let me go to Boaz. She said, let me go to the field. But because she said, let me go to the field, God said, I'm going to lead you to Boaz. I'm going to lead you to your kinsman redeemer. I'm going to lead you to the very one who will receive you. I'm going to lead you in my divine favor. There's favor in the field. If we as believers, if we as children of the Most High God will step out and start working in the field, we are going to encounter God's divine blessing and his providence like Ruth did. Let me now go to the field. Somebody shout, there's favor in the field. 
Come on, do you believe that there's a flow of favor in the field? If you do, just raise your hands for a moment. Just shout it. There's favor in the field. There's favor when I step out of these doors and I decide and make up in my mind, I'm going to do something to reach for somebody in the field. For the fields are white and they are ready to harvest. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham, he's old, he's about to die. And, and one of the last things that Abraham does is bring in one of his servants to his bedside. And there Abraham makes the servant swear that he will go and find a wife for his son Isaac. You see, Abraham had settled in Canaan. And although he was exactly where God wanted him, he was far from his kindred, he was far from his homeland, his native land. And the last thing that Abraham wanted was for Isaac to marry one of the Canaanite women. He wanted Isaac to marry someone from his, from his home country and his own kin. And so, you know, you've got to get the picture of, of this mission. He was sent, this servant, to go and find a bride for the master's son. Now, now allow me to remind all of us, if you're not connecting the dots here, that we as servants of the Lord have the same responsibility. The Lord has called us to go out into the world, into unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory, and find for him a bride. A bride. Go find me a bride. Now, honestly, this seemed like an impossible task for the servant. This is before the days of cell phones and GPS navigation, Facebook, paved roads, all of the above. You know, the servant, he couldn't call ahead and say, hey, I'd like to have a family reunion next Thursday, 3 o'clock. Can you work out the details? We'll meet at so-and-so's house, and, and you, you roast the cow and whatever. Couldn't do it. You couldn't call ahead. You couldn't set up a meeting. And assuming he's able to find Abraham's relatives at all, there's still the matter of convincing the young girl and her family, no less, that, hey, you should travel back to Canaan, this foreign land with a complete stranger, to marry a man you've never met. Maybe you think you could have done it. No problem. But for me, I think that's, this feels impossible. Impossible. But the servant had to step out in faith and trust that somehow, some way, he was going to locate the bride and he was going to accomplish the mission. So... He makes his way to a place where Abraham's relatives were settled. It was a, uh, a place called Nahor. And he, stepped, and he stops at a well and he prays this simple prayer. I, I love this prayer. Genesis 24, verse 12. He said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. I'm just trying to get you in the moment here. Tough crowd tonight. Tough crowd tonight. He said, Lord, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. And show kindness unto my master Abraham. And when the servant prays for good speed in this verse, he is actually praying for good fortune. He's praying for good luck. In fact, it's the same word that we encounter, the same root word from Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. It means to just happen upon. That's what he prayed. He said, God, let me just happen upon the right one. Somehow, some way. And then an idea strikes the servant. He goes back to prayer. He says, behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city, they come out to draw water at this very well. So let it come to pass, God, this is great, God, you're going to love this. God, let it be that the damsel to whom I shall say, come on, let down your pitcher, I pray thee, that I might drink. Can you please get me a drink? 
And if she says, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Okay, if, if she's a double dipper in the well, you know, if she'll give me a drink and if she'll also give my camels a drink, that's kind of an odd, uncommon thing, God. So, so, so that will be my sign that she's the one. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. This guy had a little trick up his sleeve. He was going to ask every woman for a drink, and if she also offered it to the camels, she's the one. And watch how God works. The very next verse, verse 15, and it came to pass that before he had even done speaking, he's not even finished the prayer. God's like, okay, but, you know, I had this idea way before you. He wasn't even done praying the prayer, and behold, Rebekah came out. Here she is, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. I mean, I don't know if you're, you're catching what I'm trying to put down here tonight, but, but something is at work here. Before he's even able to finish praying the prayer, here comes Rebekah. And not only was she the first woman to approach this well, she is the answer to his prayer. She is the one who will be willing to travel back to Canaan and enter into covenant with Abraham's son. She's the one that he came for. The servant doesn't know that yet, so, so he does what he planned. He, he asks her for water, just like he said he would. And, and not only does she get some for him, she gets some for the camels also. And he is sitting there thinking, that was way too easy. I thought I'd be sitting here all day and they're going to let the authorities know there's this creep sitting down at the well asking every woman for a drink of water. That was easy. Isn't it amazing how God orchestrated the steps of not only the servant, but God orchestrated the steps of Rebecca. He prayed for good speed, but before he can even get the prayer out for good fortune or for good luck, the answer is already there. Can I tell you, favor has already found him before he can even ask for it. And here's the question. When did the servant's prayer get answered by God? I mean, Rebecca would have already been on the way to the well before the prayer was even started. I've come to tell you that the answer was already on the way before the prayer was even prayed. That's how amazing God is. That's how sovereign, that's how providential God is. But there's a key to all of this. I believe that the servant experienced God's favor that day because he agreed to make it his mission to go out and seek a bride for his master. That's why he had favor. I don't believe it's because he prayed that prayer that day. Again, the prayer wasn't even finished before the answer was there. I believe that God sovereignly, providentially allowed favor to flow into his life the moment that he started stepping in the direction of going and finding a bride for his master's son. That's when favor found him. And that's, I believe, he, when God started directing his steps, but also started directing Rebecca's steps so that they would intersect at that divine appointed moment. The church brothers and sisters, is the bride of Christ. And when we make it our mission to grow the church by making new disciples, when, when we make it our mission to prepare a bride 
for Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that you will experience, we will experience divine favor, divine blessing, divine providence in God's sovereign hand orchestrating not only our steps, but the steps of somebody that God will bring into our lives that will receive us. Somebody that will take the journey with us and, and they will come into covenant with Jesus Christ themselves. I believe when we start stepping in that direction, in the direction of the bride, in the direction of the field, we will find favor. Everyone shout favor. Favor. Now I'm sure, and I will hasten to a close, I'm sure that the servant felt a lot of the same feelings that Ruth felt. Uncertainty, fear, will this work out? All kinds of feelings. But when Ruth made the field her focus, favor followed her. It was so unlikely, it was so unbelievable, so coincidental that the writer just has to say it was happenstance, but it wasn't happenstance, it was providence. And I believe that we too will experience providential, sovereign encounters, divine appointments with people when we make the field our focus because there's favor in the field. Likewise, when the servant made the bride his focus, favor followed him. It just so happened that, that he found his way to Abraham's relatives. And it just so happened that, that Rebekah was the first to meet him there. It just so happened that she was akin to Abraham. It just so happened that she watered the camels also. The exact qualifier that this servant made up in his mind just a few moments earlier. That's too many layers of coincidences to not begin recognizing that God was at work with favor. I believe that, that when the servant set out from Canaan to find that bride, both of their steps were ordered of the Lord. A divine orchestration, if you will. And I believe the same will await us if we will set out on the same mission to go and reach somebody for the glory of God. I'm here to preach that if we will make it our mission to seek out the bride of Christ, we will find that God will favor our efforts. I'm here to preach that if the harvest field is our focus, then the Lord will partner with us and he will bestow upon us blessing. God will begin directing your steps. but God is also going to start leading the steps of somebody else. Who is it this week that, that the Lord would direct to you as you just say, God, I'm going to step, I'm going to do something. I don't really know what. I don't know who I'm going to. I don't know who will receive me. I don't know where my Boaz is out there. I don't, I don't know where Rebecca is out there. I don't know who they are. But I just trust that if I will step out and obey what you've asked me to do, then God, you will allow me to step into that flow of favor. I believe it. If the field is our focus, if the bride is our focus, we will have divine encounters. And they will feel coincidental, but they're not coincidental. I believe that this week, somebody, several somebodies, I believe that many in our church family, if we'll make this a part of our week, if this will find root in our heart, and if we will be doers of this word, I believe that we're going to have encounters this week. Somebody shout this week. This week that will feel coincidental, but they're the favor of God upon us. Because God is willing to partner with anybody like that who will make lost souls their priority. If we will just step out in faith, I, I believe it, God will orchestrate the rest. 
Because there's favor in the field. Come on, say it. There's favor in the field. I close. Music, join me. One final passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 17. And I will be brief. Verse 24, it says that when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter. And they said, doth not your master pay tribute? Now the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, it required that everyone 20 years old and older had to pay a temple tax. Exodus chapter 30 tells us that. And this tax was collected annually. And evidently, at least in Capernaum, you know, Jesus had not yet paid this tribute. Perhaps because he, you know, he, was, he had this nomadic lifestyle. He liked to wander around Judah and Judea. He was always in different places. So maybe that's why. He just never really connected with them at the right moment. But, but nonetheless, they come to Peter off to the side and they said, Hey, Pete, you know, your, your, your pal Jesus, he hasn't paid us yet. Can you, can you do something about this? And, uh, you know, Capernaum was actually where Peter lived, so the tribute collectors probably felt more comfortable approaching him, and, and, and rather than going to Jesus and, and, you know, telling him who had some authority in him, you know, rather than going directly to Jesus, they said, you know, Peter, you, you take care of this. And Peter said, yes. And when he was coming to the house, he was about to talk to Jesus about the matter, but Jesus prevented him. He knew what was going on saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? You see, before Peter could even bring the matter up, Jesus already knew about the need. He already knew about the conversation. Just more indicators of the providence, the omniscience of God. So Peter said, uh, Strangers, I guess. Jesus said, Well, then the children are free. We don't have to pay. But, but notwithstanding, so that we don't offend them, you know, we should take care of this. Jesus was saying, you know, we don't want to offend these people. We, we want them to receive our ministry. When I'm gone, I want them to receive your ministry, Peter. So you've probably already paid it. You live here, but, but, but we're going to take care of me and you. Jesus is about to perform a miracle that, that will not only cover his tribute, but Peter's also. Jesus always goes above and beyond, doesn't he? But watch what Jesus tells Peter to do. You know, I, I would think that being God in flesh, the one that can form man from the dust of the ground, it's like, oh, those jokers want the temple tax, reach into the pocket, pull out the shekel. I mean, he's God. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Just make a shekel. Just whip it up somehow and... And I'll take it over to them. Do we need to make this more complicated than it has to be? But Jesus tells Peter, go thou to the sea. Now just pause in the verse. This is, this is, this is a moment that, that did not need to happen. Surely, surely, Jesus could have just done the miraculous in that moment on the spot. But he didn't because he wanted Peter to go to the sea. Jesus wanted Peter to go fishing. He said, go to the sea and then cast and hook. And then take up the fish that first cometh up and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and for thee. Again, 
Not just my tribute, your tribute too. If you're double paying, no problem, Pete. It's great. You see, the answer for the need and the resource that they were looking for, it was found in the mouth of a fish. It wasn't found in the pocket of Jesus. It was in a fish. It was in the sea. Jesus was not going to drop the miracle in his lap. It required Peter to set out, to take a few steps, go to the sea, go fishing, Peter. But if you will make up your mind to obey my voice and go fishing, not only will I direct your steps to the exact spot at the exact moment, I will also direct the swim of the fish to the exact spot at the exact moment, the exact fish you're looking for. Now, Matthew Henry, he says, whether it was the omnipotence of God that put the coin in a random fish's mouth or whether it was the omniscience of God that, that knew the coin in that particular fish's mouth. Either way, it just reveals that Jesus is God over and again. But nonetheless, Jesus said, go fishing, Peter. I'm going to direct the fish right to you if you'll meet him on the shore of the sea. What is inside that fish is the exact thing that Jesus needs to provide for the need in this moment. And so I'm preaching tonight about a sovereign God, a providential God that will order our steps if we will make souls our focus, if we will make the sea fishing, if that will be our focus, God will sovereignly orchestrate and direct our steps. We will find favor when we go to the field. We will find favor when we go fishing. Last thing. Jesus told Peter to cast a hook. Cast a hook, Peter. And this doesn't seem to be Peter's normal mode of fishing because you usually find Peter casting a net with his buddies, with his fishing companions. But Peter, I want you to step out of what is comfortable to you. And I want you to step out of something that you can kind of do in the shadows of others. I, I want you to step out of of a net mentality. And there's nothing wrong with a net. You can catch a lot of fish with a net. I thank God for every evangelistic effort. I thank God for a team this afternoon that connected with people in our community. I'm so grateful for all of that. I'm grateful for the nets of our church. But Peter, it's not time right now for you in this moment to cast a net. I want you to cast a hook. This is something that you're going to do on your own. You're going to step out by yourself. You're going to head down to the sea and you're going to cast a hook in the water. And while you're finding your way to the shoreline, let me know, let me tell you, and please know that I'm guiding the right fish right to you. Church, the field must be our focus. The field must be our focus. Souls must be our focus. People are the point. Every single day, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go shopping, when we're doing our thing, we're in a harvest field. We're in a sea full of fish. But start casting a hook. Let me tell somebody, you're one conversation away from a convert. Come on, you're just one kind conversation away from a conversion. Somebody that would receive what you're telling them. Somebody that will make the journey with you. You're one conversation away. Just one cast hook away. Talk to somebody about the Lord. Invite them to join you at what God is doing in your life 
at your church. Pray for somebody who presents a need. What are we doing? We're casting a hook. We're casting a hook. And if we will be people that do that, and if we will be a church that makes souls our priority, I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God that we will step into that divine favor that feels like good luck. We will step into divine favor that feels like coincidence, but it's not coincidence, it's God. It's God's divine flow of favor. It's God's abundant blessing. It's favor. There is nothing that can stop a people who are favored of the Lord. But the way we get the favor of the Lord, I believe, is by making our way to the field. It's time to go fishing. It's time to seek out a bride for the master. It's time to go to the field because there's favor in the field. Now, I I wanted to do something tonight. Stand together with me. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar. I have a gift for you. I want to give everybody a hook, okay? I'm just giving out hooks tonight. Just, Just a few hooks. You can come and grab one. And sometime this week... When you're out doing your thing, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at work, these aren't real hooks. You guys okay? Come on, the Lord wants to use somebody this week. Somebody say this week. The Lord is ready to bestow upon you divine favor, abundant blessing. The Lord is going to start orchestrating steps of somebody in your workplace. Somebody is going to be led to you, and they're going to present a need to you, and they're going to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's when God wants you to step out and say, hey, I know a Jesus. I know a God that can heal, that can deliver. Let me tell you what God can do. In the name of Jesus, if you get one of these, why don't you stay here at the altar and just raise your hands and just believe with me that God is going to to order our steps this week. Can somebody believe with me that we're going to step into the flow of God's favor this week because we're a church, we're a people, we're individuals that are making the field our focus and we believe that there's favor in the field. There's favor in the field. In the name of Jesus, I wish you'd lift your voice now. Come on, just begin to declare it. Just begin to speak divine favor. Just begin to to speak divine direction over our church right now. Come on, raise your hands, raise your voice. I want you to begin to speak prophetically. God, lead me this week. God, lead me tomorrow. Lead me in the coming days, God, as I step out into the field. In the name of the Lord Jesus. God, we are believing you together as a church. We're agreeing together in faith right now. We're binding together as people of God. Lord, we're not satisfied to just go about our business. Lord, help us to make the business of the kingdom top priority. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. But Lord, what I believe and what what I feel to preach tonight and what I am saying is that when we step out with this being our mindset and our focus, there's going to be a rest, a peace that rests upon us because we're not doing it in our own strength. We, we may not have to cast 50, 100, 150 hooks. We might just have to cast one hook, one hook, one conversation. Lord, lead us like that. 
God, if you could do it, if you could do it for Peter leading him to Cornelius, God, then you can do it for us. I believe it in Jesus' name. I believe it in Jesus' name. God, if you can lead Philip to that one Ethiopian man in the desert, God, I believe that you can lead us just like that. Lord, if you can lead Ananias to a, to a nondescript house in Damascus to find a man named Saul who's hungry for God, then, Lord, I believe that you can divinely order our steps like that as well. Hallelujah. 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 I just need you to get in the flow right now of what the Lord Jesus is trying to speak to us right now. Come on, why don't we get a hold of somebody and just bind our faith, bind our voices together. Can we lift, lift what we feel inside? Can we just lift that into the atmosphere for a moment? I'm not just looking for volume, but I am looking for some people to connect prophetically with what God is doing in this moment. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Can I get an elder or two to just raise your voice and just begin to intercede for our city? Come on, the Lord can direct the hearts of men. The Lord can direct the steps of the wayward too. The Lord can direct the steps of somebody who's hungry for God and they don't even know what they're hungry for. Somebody intercede for our city right now. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Hallelujah. The fields are white. The fields are white. They're ready for harvest. 
Come on, don't say four months and then comes harvest. Harvest is right now. Jesus said, I'm sending you out and you're going to reap where you put no labor because you're going to enter into other men's labors. You're going to step into the foundation that somebody else has built, but God is going to orchestrate it. God will direct us if the field is our focus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So one more time, raise your hands and just receive that in the name of Jesus. Come on, receive it in the name of Jesus. Believe God for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah.